Hello and welcome into today's Sunday interview. I'm super excited to had Diego um, in the podcast. He's an almost professional skier. Um, he has some great insights into mindset. Also, when it comes to like professional skiing competitions, um, yeah, he gave up a lot in Chile to live his dream in Canada. And I think he has some great insights into life, into yeah, just giving uh, perspectives and grabbing chances. He's a great yeah um example on how grabbing chances and how you should grab any chance you get in life thank you so much for listening tuning in and enjoy today's interview thank my you. name is diego stranger um i am 26 years old i come from chile south america i grew up uh, i was lucky to grow up in a very loving family um uh i've been studying pretty much all my life and I got I got I grew up in this part of the system in which I was always taught that I needed to study I needed to get a job I needed to build a family like the basic stereotype of how to be happy yeah that's that was my growing up and I also was super lucky enough to always be surrounded by great friends and when I started finishing school, high school, um, I always had this passion about sports and I always wanted to be an athlete, even though it was very against what my family beliefs were. My father always wanted me to be either a lawyer, an engineer, I'm, I'm a doctor, but you know, professional soccer player was yeah. never in the plans when I was like, I always was super passionate about sport. And like older, I started a little bit more involved in love ski. And I always wanted to go to the US to do this. So when I was 19, year of college, well, I was getting super bad grades at the end of my school. In Chile, you need good grades to go to college. So through my two last years of, of, of school, I need to focus on what I wanted to do. I was super lost. I thought I was going to be a physiotherapist, but I was super lost. I really didn't want to, I didn't even asking an 18 year old what they want to study for the next five years where your parents have to pay so much money for studying. It's really overwhelming. So yeah. what I did is I went to do a calligraphy test. Basically what you do is you write a piece of text and an expert about somebody really expert in calligraphy analyzes your strokes and everything and they tell you okay these are your skills okay let's try it i went to do it and i got 80 percent of affinity with maths and engineering and i was like okay that's it i'm gonna study engineering <laughs> yeah. so i did two years of intensive math preparation and i entered college for engineering i was pretty stoked but I also was a little bit nervous because I never was good, so good at math. I was just preparing myself for the past few years. And I was like, oh, if I can go through this engineering, it's really hard. And there was a lot of pressure. Like I didn't want to disappoint my family. It was really, really overwhelming at the time. But yeah. I, I got, went to college. Everything went super smooth. I was right where I had to be. I met some of my best friends in life. I had my best friends in life right now, oh, I, I have a lot of best, best friends in life, but really, really good friends from, from college. We are still here. We're still together. And it was like I was where I had to be. So 
that was on the academic part. I was loving my career. I was loving college. I had a great time in college, but I was I always wanted something else. So I decided that I want I would I was I would save money that year. I was like, okay, there was this J1 visa in the US that basically we study in Chile from March to December. And on your summer vacations, you can apply for a visitor, a work, a temporary work visa uh, in the US. So I applied and you do it through a company that sponsors you with a job offer. So I applied for a ski instructor job. I got it. And I went to this little ski resort in New Jersey called Mountain Creek, which I spent my first summer out of home. It was an interesting experience because I've never been outside home. I've been... I grew up in a, in a house where I was a little bit spoiled, to be honest. I, I never cooked by myself. Yeah. It was a very interesting experience. I had so much fun. I learned so much about adulting that I decided to come back again next year, save again money. Like I made a, a decent amount of money in the US because, you know, currencies usually in the, like in the, in North America are really powerful against the, the, the Chilean or South American money. So yeah. if you work a decent amount of hours in those trips, you can actually bring money back. That's what I actually did. So next year I went again, but I went in such a different mode. It wasn't in the work mode anymore. I spent everything. I was a party boy, but well, I came back a little bit tired from the year, continued my college and I took off a year from and skiing outside that year. I, I focused a little bit more in local skiing that year. Um, I was getting a little bit more serious about skiing. I used to have a mountain bike. I yeah. sold it because I wanted to ski more. So I kept skiing, 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 also advancing through college. I did very well in college. I was super focused on that too. Uh, for me, it was very important. And I was also enjoying my career. And through the end of college, my last year of college, um, with my best, some friends from childhood, a friend from college, and random people that destiny joins you and uh, we plan another trip to the u.s this time i wasn't gonna go to colorado no I was, sorry i wasn't gonna go to new jersey but we're gonna we decided to go to colorado you know the yeah. mecca of the u.s game uh i visited colorado with my dad the year before and i absolutely love it and i did we decided that we wanted to spend a season there at that point i also wanted well i had two seasons as a ski instructor. So I had a, a little bit better curriculum to apply for jobs. And happily, we got my three friends we went with, we all got, we all got um, jobs at um, Breckenridge, Colorado Ski Resort. So we rented a house in a little town called Breckenridge and we jumped ourselves into one more adventure. Colorado was very expensive. So I, I had to go in a little bit of debt to go to that trip. That was okay. That was in my lot. I when I went there, I just had one more semester of college life. So we traveled. We had the summer of our lives. Awesome skiing. We had we learned so much. It was really awesome. I got certified as a level one ski instructor too. I didn't have my certification until that moment, and I came back to Chile with a huge debt. One semester I left the college, and a lot of questions about myself. You know, I've been. I was like a little bit like, what do I want to do for life? I love skiing, but I, I, I cannot afford this lifestyle forever. So I was finishing college. I had a really mellow semester uh, and I had this huge debt. 
So I really needed to do something about that. Um, I looked for a job, the first thing I could find, um, like as an engineer, like more a junior engineer, to try to pay this debt. I was, I was hired by a startup company as a key account manager. I worked there for five months to realize that that wasn't even close to the type of engineering I want to do. And I started feeling like I, I wasn't having, being very happy at the job. That, this is also advice to people. Guys, if you ever feel that what you're doing doesn't make you happy, always do something about it. Don't do it for the money. It's never, never, never worth it. And I was, gonna, I was getting paid well, but I, I, I started feeling the need of doing something different, more into the engineer and technical side. So I started looking for a job. I got this, I saw this job in this website I use a lot for finding technology jobs um, called Get On Board. And uh, one of the biggest retailers in, in Chile is called Sencosur was looking for a data analyst. I really liked the position, so I applied. I got the job, it was less money, but it was in the field that I wanted. So I quit the job, explained it to my boss, I left in really good terms, he totally understand it. But in the middle of all this, I got my degree, engineer, uh, industrial engineering, five and a half years of effort, paid well, and I left with my degree, which was a huge relief, you know? It's, it's good to go face the world with all the tools that college give you. And at that point, I didn't knew it, but I didn't know it, but I was super grateful about all the pressure that my family put me at some point, even though I felt a little bit overwhelmed. But I started feeling a little bit, a lot grateful about everything, everything that my parents gave me, the education, they always pushed me to go for a big career. And I started seeing how that paid off. So I got this job and I was, I was learning a lot. It was much harder than the other job. I was learning a lot. I stayed, I, I was there for 13 months. And just when I was starting this job, I had a really bad injury on my head. And it was more like a chronic condition in which my whole range of movement was limited. And that was a little bit of bummer, especially because I'm a very active person and I always want to be, I have an athletic style of life. That was a huge bummer. And I had to go into surgery and an eight month recovery, which I think it was one of the biggest tests I had in my life already. It was- Eight, eight months of recovery. Damn, that's insane. Eight with physio, I couldn't walk for a month. Holy shit. I was out of my job for a month. And, and how did mentally, that occur? How did that happen? Like that yeah, you needed? It was a chronic condition, you know? It came okay. out of nowhere. Damn, um, that's upsetting. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, the condition that doesn't have a like an explanation. It's something that most people have in their hips. It's it's when you're when the, the, the end of your femur has a little bump. Yeah. And it has a little bit of friction with okay. your hip. And most people have it, a lot of people have it. And the thing is that they are not symptomatic. It's the combination of being super active, a bigger bump that actually made it symptomatic for me. I had okay. to go to surgery and two doctors that I went to visit first saw me and told me, you cannot, like, you cannot ski, you need to go to surgery, we need to evaluate you. Very pessimist Damn. Uh, diagnosis, which was really strong for my mindset. But I got recommended by a doctor in Chile that he was like one of the experts in hip, in hip, uh, hip issues. 
So I went, to, I went, I, I went to visit him. In, he told me something very different. He instead of he, and telling me straight that you had to go into surgery and and that uh, that skiing was going to be complicated, he was like, "This is more like something that you will need to live with. You'll need to go through physio. You'll need to get your body strong, but you can do it." And yeah, you may have to go to surgery, but we need to ho- do a whole study about it. And that first of all hit me very very, very hard. Like, dude, there's so many doctors that go and give you diagnosis without even getting you an exam? Well, this was the first doctor that told me, let's study your case. So I decided to go with him, went to surgery, had an awesome recovery. And the day I had surgery, that was in January, I told myself, this year, I want to step up my skiing and I want to compete in the national free ride circuit. My dad thought I was Holy shit. I was telling him like, uh, I was like, cut to the, that I'm going to compete in the free ride skiing, the free ski championship. He was like, dude, you cannot walk. Damn. And I was like, I will. <laughs> Love uh, the mindset. That, that day, yeah, that day my mindset started. I started training. I had to do an hour training, like static training every single day since the day I got, I got injured. And I've been training since then. But I got eight months of recovery. I went to visit... Um, one aficio that works in the um, for the Olympic skiing team, and he has this little physio studio that he's studying. He had like this little startup. He started his little physio studio. I had to drive 45 minutes every single day from my job to that physio studio to train with him. I trained with him, and the ski season started. Started skiing. Started getting some confidence. Starting building some muscle. Always very important. Uh, feed yourself when you're recovering from an injury it's really important that you feed yourself and feed yourself well don't eat sorry i don't want to say the word but eat well you know no you can you can say you and can say I, the word it doesn't matter yeah i got myself strong again and i went to compete and with my girlfriend at the time we planned this trip into the south of chile it was a 15 hour drive i took thursday and friday off thursday morning we drive 15 hours to this mountain ski resort. We were there for the weekend and I competed. I came 10th. I was super stoked about the result. That's amazing. That was my first competition. That was a great weekend. We came back on Sunday, 15 more hours to drive. Monday, back to work, very sleepy again. And the whole winter was focused on competing. So every single weekend, I'll go skiing. We went, we went for some cool touring missions, but always like that. Friday night, hop in the car, drive far away. Also because it was a really bad season in Santiago. So we had to drive to get snow. Yeah. But like that, back and forward, all winter. And yeah. And then we had this final competition uh, at the end of the season. Uh, One of the competitions got suspended because of lack of snow. But yeah, we had this final competition in another ski resort. Uh, there was nobody to go with, so I had to drive by my own. Again, I asked for some days off. Had to ask drive on my own. Got there, knew nobody, but I knew that I had to be in the right place. At this point, my dad was like, "Dude, you're crazy. I can't believe you're still skiing." And I have to say that I had a lot of support from my family, though. Yeah, a lot of support, and I'm really grateful about that. But that weekend came. Um, at this point also, I got approved my 
my Canadian visa, which is really hard to get from Chile. You basically get in a pool, you apply, you get in a pool, and you they draw your name out of the pool, and at that moment, you get an invitation to apply. Just for you to know, they give out like 800 visas out of 5,000 people. So the chances are not the best. It's yeah. 12, 15% of chances of getting it, which is pretty low. And every year, there's more people applying. So the moment I got the visa, I knew that I was going to do this trip. So I got the visa in February while I was still recovering from my injury. And I told my boss in March, once I got like a little bit more in the process, I told him like, I'm going to be until the end of the year with you guys because this is a lifetime opportunity and I feel I need to take it. He was super cool. We did a roadmap about the projects that I was going to work on that year. So yeah. I wasn't involved in stuff that later I had to like leave behind. That was really cool. I got a lot of support from the company. I'm really grateful about all that time in that work. I learned a lot. So it was awesome. But back to the skiing season. End of the skiing season, 29th of September. It was a month and 10 days before my flight to Canada. Yeah. Because the idea was finishing this competitive season and I was feeling awesome. And I wanted to compete in Canada. I wanted to keep stepping my game. I'm not that kind of person which like, it's like, okay, I've done what I said. Like, it's all good. I can die happy. I competed in skiing. No, now I want to go international. So it was, it was pretty insane. And everything was working out. I got, a, like, I got the visa and I applied for a job in Whistle Blackham. And yeah. I got the job. So I was, like, I was like connecting seasons. And I was getting to the end of this season in Chile, September of 2019. And this competition, I go alone. I am there. I'm starting to meet some people in the circuit. So there was a really cool vibe the day of the competition. I grabbed my skis, put it on my backpack, go to the top of the venue. We couldn't recognize the venue the day before because it was pretty cloudy. And I was one of the last ones to drop. So I saw everybody dropping. There was this huge claim that I scoped from the bottom that I said, no way I'm hitting that. No way. Because I was maybe... 40 days away from my trip to Canada. I was like, I don't want to break myself. I'm going to take a chill. I'm going to try to get my good result from the first competition and try to get a good result overall. Yeah. Cool. People started dropping. A lot of people fell trying crazy things. And I was like, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I scoped my line. I was like, okay, I'm going to do a really fast and chill line, plug in my headphones, three, two, one, dropping. I drop. And let me tell you something for all the people that's going to hear this. What I'm about to tell if you ever decide to compete on skiing, never do it. I made a huge mistake that day. That is getting lost in the venue. That's dangerous. What do you mean getting, getting, getting lost in what? In, in, the... in the venue. Like going down, I went other way that I didn't want to go. Okay. Like I thought I was hitting another cliff, a smaller cliff. But actually, I was getting myself into the big cliff, which okay. I said that I didn't want to hit. And I was getting to the cliff and I see a ring and they, they build this little ramp into the cliff. And I was like, oh, this looks man-made. If I go through the air, I'm not going to hit rocks because there's clearly a jump. That was my mindset. That was, but guys, never do that. You need to know what you're hitting. I didn't know. Start, go, let myself go through the ramp. And as soon as I hit the ramp, I realized I was in the big cliff. And I was like, holy moly. At that point, I was like, this is already done. Tried to keep control and I stumped it. And that feeling is one of the best feelings in my life. And that's when I knew I love skiing. I go to the bottom. 
And some people were like, dude, that was huge. I was like, dude, I know. I didn't, I, I don't know what happened. It was just a magical moment, very magical moment. We go to the end of the day, we go to the closing party, they give the results, they say the podium. I thought I could get there and I, like they give the podium, I didn't get in the podium and one of the guys come to me and was like, dude, I thought you were gonna win something tonight. And then, then when they released the results of that day, I came fourth. I was so close to hit the podium. Damn. And with the results overall, with my 10th place, I finished fourth in the national championship. And that day, I realized it's all about believing in yourself. I never thought I could do that. I never thought before this year, I never even got in my mindset that I could be so high in the ranking in my first day year competing. That's amazing. It's all about believing yourself. It's all about being professional. Like if you're going to do whatever you're going to do, whatever you're going to do, if you want to go to the gym, be professional, go to the gym, fit yourself well. If you're going to skateboard, be professional, train the muscles you need to not get injured. It's all about being professional in whatever you do. That's going to bring you results because the mind is very powerful and the human body is even more powerful. So I finished that season very stoked. I moved to Canada and I started working as a ski instructor in Wizard Blackcomb, which for me was a lifetime dream. You know, Wizard Blackcomb is, it's the scene, you know, you've seen all these old school movies about people dumped in powder until the shoulders. And it's like, oh man, this is the place. And that's how I felt. Um, it was a very interesting because first of all, I left everything behind. I sold my car. I sold most of my stuff. I left my parents' house for good, which yeah. is a big jump in life. And I dropped everything, all my engineering career that it was skyrocketing. I was getting a really good job, building a really good profile. Stop to that. And I'm going to be a ski bum. And that's what I did. And yeah, that's how the season developed. And it was pretty awesome. And I was always with the, this mindset of going to compete in Canada. So I scoped to a competition that was going to be held in March. And just a couple of weeks before that competition, my hip started having issues again. So okay. I had to hit the physio again. And I got, I got to the physio and they helped me to get strong a little bit for that competition. I went for the competition, but uh, I, did, I didn't have so good results as I expected. I think there was a lot of knowledge that I didn't know about into higher level competitions that I didn't know. I made a lot of mistakes. I had an awesome experience. I came 16th out of 26 in a level two skiing competitions. In freeride, you have until level four. So it's a very amateur level, but um, I was super stoked to be competing in Canada. It was a lifetime dream. I, I learned a lot. And dude, I came back from that in March. One week later, I was working. We Everybody started hearing about COVID. Everybody was a little bit concerned. Yeah. But we all were like having, the, like we were working. We were doing lifestyle as a business as always. Whistler was doing working like full time. I had yeah. a lesson that I remember. And that day, I, I was supposed to have like five kids in my group. Yeah. Only one show up. Awesome day. We ripped the mountain. He was a six-year-old. He wanted to do 360. So I, I, tell, I taught him how to spin around in his kids. He was stoked. The father was stoked. I showed him the videos. I go to go home. And on my way home, I get an email from Wizard Blackcomb. We are closing for a week. I was like, what? Damn. That was my job. Yeah. Yeah. And they said like, yeah, it's going to be temporary. 
and then we're going to evaluate in a week. I knew it that day. That was it. And that was it. I suddenly I was, <laughs> I was jobless. I didn't have a job. Yeah. And that's when all started, all COVID. And at that point, I was pretty nervous because I didn't have, well, living in Canada, especially in Whistler, is pretty expensive. It's pretty yeah. expensive. I think uh, you know from your interview with Yeah, with indeed. Yeah, we, talk, we talked about it. It's, it's quite, yeah. Yeah, way I don't more have to give you detail about how expensive it is to live in Whistler. So I was pretty scary. And my family started pushing me a little bit to go back to Chile. I was in denial. I was like, I'm not going back. I still yeah. have seven months of visa. This is the, a lifetime visa. Like, this is the only visa I can get in my life. So I was like, I cannot go back. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it started getting more complicated, more complicated. And I got convinced my parents to go back. They were like, we'll pay for everything. Flight, you, the quarantine hotel, you got it. We covered everything. And the way back was, man, it was terrible. All the flights got canceled. I had to fly to Miami. Then, no, I had to, yeah, to Los Angeles. Then from Los Angeles to Miami, spend one day in Miami and then fly to Chile with squee equipment. I didn't like quite much the idea, but it was, that was what it was. And I was trying to convince my parents, like, dude, that's the worst idea ever. I'm going to go through the US and I'm going to get COVID there. But I was a little bit scared, I must admit. It was very hard to empower myself. So I, yeah, I decided to leave. And that same week, well, I applied for SERF. SERF was starting to start and I, I applied for SERF because I was, I qualified. I worked hard that winter enough so my yeah. taxes would cover me in SERF. And that same week, my flight was Thursday. Wednesday, I get SERF. Puff, money in my account. It's like, oh, damn it. I got it. And then hour later, my ma hey, the, the, the airline sends me an email, your flight got canceled. And at that point, I knew it. I had to stay. That was the universe telling me I had no to stay. No way. That, like, that's such like clear sign, like signs like, yeah, from, from the universe. That's insane. I got this benefit. I had money secured for the, four, for, the, for the next four months. And at that point, I was clear that I had to take a blind jump into destiny stay here and hope that in four months I could get a job. Yeah. That's when the meditation started, man. <laughs> a lot of stress, a lot of stress, uncertainty. So I needed to keep my, I needed to keep my mind in a, in a cool place. So that's yeah. why I started meditating. The first month and a half, everybody had to stay home. So a lot of time home. But after a bit, the, some of the parks and some of the recreational routes You know, there's a lot of biking scene in Wizard 2. It's one of the best bikes, bike parks in the world. Yeah. I had a biking background, so I was like, I'm going to get a bike. I got a bike. Also, my physio told me that biking was really good for my hip injury. It was a perfect compliment. So I started biking every day around the parks. You couldn't stop. You couldn't go into the lakes. You couldn't hike. The only thing that you were allowed to do is keep traveling. You know, okay. use the biking for traveling. So I'll go for two hours every day, bike yeah. around, and come back. And then this day we came into phase three, which means that resorts and parks could open again. That means that biking season was on, which in Whistler was very important because that means that the whole businesses, all the businesses could run again. Yeah. The mountain was going to run again. 
it was going to open again. The bike part was coming. Well, <laughs> exactly. But first of all, I also knew that I had to pay for the bike I just bought. So the first thing that I did open were restaurants. And I'm always, I've always been very hardworking. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't, I didn't like the fact that I was receiving money from the government and I wasn't paying my, my taxes back. So I decided that as soon as I could work, I will go and do whatever. And I got a job as a dishwasher, which was pretty interesting. Damn. <laughs> spent like a month and a half washing, like dishwashing. And like by hand, all, like, like by holy moly. Okay. Yeah. Like this is something which I really don't like to do. Like, um, Because I don't have like a dishwasher, I also like wash all my stuff with my hands. But I'm getting, I get really annoyed by it. But yeah. tell me more about your experience. To me, one yeah. and a half months, holy moly! It was pretty interesting, you know, wearing this chef, chef clothes, just getting soaked, and and yeah, it was a, it was a hard time. But and while everything with this was happening, I also mentioned you about these friends, this group of friends. Yeah, I can tell um, Martin, Cote, Charlie, uh, Gav, and and Mati. These guys helped me all through this. I feel like each one of them, they are light spirits. They all are very advanced in self-consciousness and and they're very mature. They have they are very resolved human beings. And I always look at them as an example. And they guided me all this journey. And I got the job because I wanted my friends to be proud of me. I, everything I did over these months in COVID, I was doing it before, before because I really admired my friends and I really wanted to be like them. And so, yeah, shoot, big shout out to my, my Pacalolos and my Soli Sombra. Light and Shadow, that's the name of our crew. And they, they were very important in this process. It's amazing. But yeah. At some point, I was a little bit tired of, of being a dishwasher. And I knew that because I had an engineering degree, I had a lot of coaching experience. I knew that I could get a better job in town. Also, I wanted to earn more money so I could pay more taxes because I wasn't paying my taxes quite much. I was getting minimal wage and I needed to pay for the backpack. And I saw that as soon as the biking season started, there was a lot of biking, biking coaching yeah. going on. And I wasn't certified. But I just need, I, I love teaching kids. I, it's one of the things I love more in life. It's connect with kids. Why? Because a kid, it's a pure soul. They, for us adults, it's so hard to get into this conscious and open ourselves to, to the vibrations of the, of, the, of the environment and the insights of everybody and the inputs from the earth. For kids, it's natural. They are open, you know? Yeah. And I always love to connect with them. I feel like I know a lot of myself. I connect a lot with myself when I'm connected with kids. And I missed a lot of, a lot of that from ski, ski, ski instructing. That's one of the reasons why I love ski instructing. And I knew that if somebody gave me the chance to be a bike coach, I'll prove myself. And I got, a, I got an opportunity at a place called Combo Camps. They were looking for a bike coach for the season. And I went to them i told them i was a ski instructor i told them i have four seasons i, I told him i have like over 2000 hours of experience with kids i just told them i need you guys to give me the chance i'll go i'll go get certified as soon as possible and i got the job that's amazing and i went through my promise two weeks later i did my level one bike coach and that's how it started 
and that was one of the, my best summers in my life because I feel like when you're coaching, when you're studying in a sport and you want to get better and you're coaching, you learn through the fundamentals. I spent so much time developing my balance, going slow on a bike, and then when I was at higher speed, I felt super comfortable. So I built my skills over the season. I ended up doing stuff way more gnarly than I thought I was going to do. I, I was doing airs as big as a skiing, which was pretty impressive. I was super impressed about my progress. I was super happy about everybody that supported me. A big shootout, shootout to also my girlfriend that I met in this time. And she always believed in me, always. And, and yeah, she was a big part of this. We did a trip to, the, to Vancouver Island together to bike. She got injured in the second day and she drove me everywhere so yeah. I could bike. Damn, that's, that's just super kind next to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. That's amazing. That's so, very kind. Um, and, and I also think that, um, yeah, a partner and, and a partner who is supporting you in, in whatever you're doing is also super powerful because what I also noticed, um, since I also, um, yeah, got a you know, girlfriend like just a month ago, um, it's very, very special in general if, the person is first of all accepting you how you are and accepting you with all the maybe flaws or whatever you have but then also what i think is even more important is to be able to grow together and to be able to support each other without necessarily interfering yeah yeah and like just be there for the other person and to like help each other and able to to grow i think that's something very powerful in a relationship yeah. and and i think Especially when it comes to relationship, I think there are like a lot of relationships without being judgmental about them, but I am when saying it, but there are a lot of relationships out there which have to be more reflective, more communicating about what they're struggling with and all this stuff to just, yeah, um, see what everyone, every individual in the, in the relationship wants to kind of achieve and then see how you align that uh, within your relationship. But that's not the topic. <laughs> yeah, um, no, but it's true. Like, I was going to tell you about that because she, she's definitely been one, like, the north that I have been having the past few months. Because I met her in the middle of the bike season and she always supported me and I feel like she was really part of how or who I became in the last, the last part of the season. And she also gave me that extra confidence that you need sometimes to go for bigger stuff. Yeah, she was like, "You can do it," and and she also was taking me pictures and felt me. She was making me feel very comfortable. And the reason why we connected is because she was she's a backcountry snowboard guide, and yeah. she told me that since day one we never skied together. We met in summer, but yeah. I was really impressed about everything that she was telling me and how she's been always pursuing her snowboarding and trying to make it. A, an official career, you know, we, yeah. we, we don't get paid for doing it, but we do it and we spend a lot of money doing it and we take decisions to keep skiing and keep snowboarding. And she was, she was like in a similar way, different story, but a similar background than me. And we connected, we stayed together. And then we were, we, we were both working at the summer camp. I was a bike coach. She was a hiking coach, hiking guide. Yeah. And she was ending at the end of September. I was supposed to work until the end of November as a bike coach. But at the end of September, due COVID, there was not enough kids. So I got laid off. Okay. Which changed a lot of my plans because my, plan, my original plan was 
I was going to finish my biking season. I was going to get like eight months of skill working hours. I was going to apply for a visa extension and I was going to work again in Whistler as a bike, as a ski coach. And I would have enough hours to apply for my permanent residency. And yeah. then I could go back to Chile with my personal residency. So I could come back to Canada next year. Yes. But at that point, that was a no go. And I was like, damn it, what are we going to do? And she was also finishing and it was, she was like, we were both going to be unemployed and we started to look for a new North. Uh, so I, again, once again, I remember when I told you about this platform that the last yeah. time I, I was having a job issue and I didn't know what to do in my life. I went, yes. go again. <laughs> the first job that pops in, I read it. I was like, this job is perfect for me. It was an engineering job, but every single skill, skill they ask for is being exactly the same skills I've been developing since I started doing engineering. And I looked at it. I knew, I knew it was like, this is my job. That's amazing. So I put a lot of mind and heart into that application. And the next few weeks I started having the interviews at the same time I was ending my contract with, with biking as a bike coach. So it was very stressful. A lot was happening. We planned this trip to the island and we were going to go for a little two week vacation, but I didn't know what's going to be my future. So I was like, I don't know if I can spend this money in a vacation if I don't know if I have a job. Yeah. The day my last day of work came. Awesome. Close the bike season, best summer of my life. Had really good contacts with the families I left in, in, in Whistler. A big shout out to all the families also that trusted me with their kids. Because biking is a dangerous activity and I always strive to keep every single one of the kids safe, make them have fun and love the sport. That's all about it. So ended the bike season in a really high note. Next day, I get the job offer. <laughs> Everything was solved. And we go to this vacation. It was like, you know, it was like, you stress. Same as we were like, effortless ease. I was so stressed and I was trying to keep myself and I was trying to convince myself to be calm, to trust the cosmic plan, to let things happen by its own. But it was so hard. Yeah. It was so hard, so stressful to be in another country. Not because you always know when you are in your house, you have the support of your family. You know you have a house. Here, you are by my own. It was me and Sophie, my girlfriend, all by our own. Yeah. And it worked out somehow. <laughs> and yeah, next plan, we rented an apartment in Whistler for the next two months. And I was going to work remotely. So that wasn't going to be a, a problem anymore. My visa situation, my visa was ending in November. But I was going to jump into visitor visa. I was going to pay taxes in, in, the, in Chile because the, the job is from Chile. I was going to pay taxes in Chile, so no, no problems with the work visa. And yeah, I was going to stay as a visitor for six months, and then we will see what happens. Yeah. Cool. We come, we come back from those vacations, and Sophie didn't have a job. She also needed to for a job. And she, she spent like last season of skiing in another town called Revelstoke, which is a little bit more interior in Canada, more into the Rockies. Yeah. And she... Since the day I met her, she was like, oh, man, you're a skier. You're going to love this place. And I was like, man, I cannot go out from Whistler. I have my clients here. I have my kids. I want to keep coaching my kids. I have a job. Um, you know, my friends are here. She was like, we need to go to Revelstoke. I think you'll love it. And that was a big discussion. At some point, it was a, li a little bit of a deal breaker in our relationship. But when I got the remote job, it was like, yeah, but you know what? Now that I work remotely, I might be able to move to another town. I just grab my computer, move it. This is not a big deal. 
and we were well we changed houses we went to these little apartments for two months she was looking for a job and again she studied communications so she's a journalist a job pops up we need a journalist in Revelstock. again we look into each other this is it it's it's just it comes you know like yeah you're that's, not asking that's so for it, beautiful you, just, yeah. you look at it and it's like this is it this is the solution and she was like, yeah, but I don't know. And she had to make this video talking to the camera. And she got, she needed some biking footage. So we went to the hill. We recorded some footage biking. And yeah. And she got the job, man. And her boss tells her, eh, we need you to come here next week. And we still needed to pay a month. Like we paid for two months in that place. And, yeah. and suddenly she needed to leave. And she left. And I was alone in the apartment for a week. And we had to look for somebody to rent it. And in one week, we both needed to leave Whistler. And we did. <laughs> we were in one week later, we were living in another town. Everything changed. My friends end up not living in Whistler. They had to leave too. They went to the north of the country, like everything. Just as we all came together as friends, uh, we somehow at some point spread. You yeah. know, like it came and went and yeah, I had to say goodbye to my friends. It was pretty emotional because yeah. there's a, little, a lot of relationship. They're still in Canada. They will be until I leave the country. So um, I'm going to see them for sure. If I have to drive through the mountains to go and see them, I will. <laughs> but yeah, long story short, it was a little bit longer than I thought the story. But that's where am I right now? I'm Revelstoke. I'm working remotely, and the ski season started yesterday. We had a really cool day, and yeah, here we are, man. Thank you so much for like the super amazing story. I really love it, and I really love how the interviews are also kind of parallel, like with Emily's story, and now with your like kind of uh, story so beautifully um, explained. I really loved um, all the all the insights. Um, and you think about it, the point of contact with Emily was just at one point, and then yeah. we both diverged. We all went to its 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 own our own ways. It just you know when you meet somebody that you need to meet at some point. I yeah. needed that output. She needed the inside, and you just follow follow your guts. That's the thing. Keep following your guts. Things are gonna come. A hundred percent, I agree with it. But even so, sometimes also, as you say, or as you said already, it's tough at certain points, especially if there's a lot of uncertainty, if there is like a lot of insecurity, sometimes it is tough to follow your guts. Um, even so, also, as Emily said in, in, in the interview, you just should trust in the process, as she already always said, and which I also always like to refer to because... I mean, I'm also like, you have like great guidance from the universe or however you want to say it. But I also have to say about my own life and also the whole family. I also have a very beautiful family, um, a loving mom. Um, and and it, we also have a lot of great guidance, which I'm super proud and, and happy for that we have this kind of yeah uh, support. Um, but what I actually wanted to ask uh, was not about the family or about my background necessarily, but what I, the question I had already, like, I don't know, 15 minutes ago probably was about the professional, like skiing. When you're like, when you're starting, when you're at like 
I don't know how it starts. Are you sitting like on some kind of bar and then it's just starts or how, how do you start when you are heading into a competition? Like how, how is the competition starting usually? I will take your question and tackle it from two points. Yes. Um, one, it's when you decide to compete. Um, when I was younger, I, whoever loves a sport will be watching professionals doing it. Yep. When you are there, you look at that and you say to yourself, that's insane. I could never do that. And you think about it and you start getting better. You start the, the breach between what they can do and what you can do starts getting closer. Again, pros are here. I might yeah. be a little bit closer to competing at an amateur level, but that point when you say like, I want to compete, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how good you are. If you want to do it and you want to be professional, you can do it. And then you make a plan. This doesn't come from, it's not like you go and say, oh, okay, I like skiing. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign up for this competition and I'm going to show up at the entrance. No. You make a plan. You train. You progress into that. You travel because in a sport like this, you always need to travel. You save money. A little step before traveling. You save money. Travel. You get there. And the moment you get there, it's a whole process. Like, holy damn, I'm here. And there's a lot going on in your head. And in these competitions in particular, that it's free ride, um, basically what, what it's about is there is this face, there is this mountain, and there is like a skiable zone. There are cliffs, there are jumps, there are different features. You can do whatever you want. You have one go. You can scope it from the bottom, but you have one go to go down stylish and as cool as you want. So the judges give you a high score. Okay. So that's what I'm saying. It's not that you go into the, into the entrance and, and you drop. You just you, you go the day before. You look at the face. You know your ability. So even though the first play goes and does a, does a backflip over the big cliff, you know that you're not going to do that. Okay. You're going to go and my best advice for this type of events is go and have fun. Go and write whatever you can write. Go yeah. and enjoy it. The result doesn't matter. Just go and do your thing. And then you go to the start gate and pretty much when, when you say like, what's, what's coming to your mind? Yes. It's that you have a plan. You know what you're going to do. And that's why I was saying that when I jumped this, that cliff that I didn't want to jump, that was a big mistake because I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And But yeah, you should know what you're going to do and you're focused. And what I like doing is I like putting headphones and listen to a really high, high beat song, whatever of my favorite songs at the moment are, and get myself focused. And you, you listen to the three, two, one dropping and you go for it and you go and follow your plan and hope the best. <laughs> you hope to get through the, to the finish line without falling. But that's the cool thing about these competitions. Like there's a lot of range of different competitions in skiing. There is racing, which everybody does the same course. There is freestyle, which everybody goes through the same jumps and do the tricks that they know how to do, but they have a lot of different tries. Yeah. In this one, you have one chance, you have one go, and you are not going to necessarily do what everyone else is doing. And that's the beautiful thing about this type of events. And that's why it's so accessible for so many people. You know, they could be big features in the face, but not, you don't have to hit them. You go and ski whatever you feel comfortable with skiing. And, and when you like, you said you have just like 
do you have like how how much time do you have to observe the whole uh, kind of like mountain like the area where you kind of like ski it's just you can't try it out once or anything you just observe the whole thing and then you go for it or how, how in in there are two types of competitions in europe and in south america and i think also in in oceania like in new zealand uh, you have one run okay but in canada and in america i don't know if i don't know if in america but in canada the one that i go you could ski down not not try it but you could ski down the venue look at the features from close and then the next day you'll go do it which is pretty interesting because when you ski down something you will eventually affect the terrain okay yeah? yes so the terrain will be very tracked out there will be a lot of people going through the venue and there will be some bumps the next day okay when in the other type of competitions you can only scope it from the bottom you go with some you know amplification classes yeah you go you look And you try to read the terrain from the bottom, which is really hard. And I, I really like more that type of, of competitions because it's also a skill to be able to look to something and try to read it. Yeah. Damn, that's insane. That is, yeah, it, it, is, it is a pretty... It is different. Damn. It's different in different continents. Yeah. In, in Canada, it's that way. I, I, I'm not sure about Europe. In Chile, as I told you, I think in Europe, it's also one goal. Yeah. But I like the one goal. Yeah, no, that 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 that's uh, that's amazing, and then in in terms of your the, the whole journey, it was super interesting to to hear about that, um, and then sticking like when you are training for like those uh, like competitions, um, and you like for how long do you prepare yourself? First of all, that's also interesting for me, and then the consistency and like the goal, like you said, you want to have fun in the end, but obviously you also want to have the best kind of outcome and outcome in terms of like the positioning, but how, how do you like mentally balance that? I think a lot of that we've been talking about, about knowing yourself, it's very important. Yeah. You need to know what you can do. You need to know what you can progress into. For example, there is all pre-season because you know, ski seasons are, unless you are connecting season from one, out of the world into the other one ski seasons are winter so yep. during summer this is the first time that actually I, pre i have prepared myself biking which has been awesome but it's also there's also also a lot of risk into it you know like you could get easily injured biking and and take and not be as fit for the for the ski season yeah but If you want to do a training, particularly for a ski season, maybe two months before, you will be doing ski, ski specific exercises. You will be strengthening some muscles that you use more, like your core or your glutes or your and your quads. You'll be, you know, when you when you've been skiing for a while, and especially if you had injuries and you're getting a lot of input from physios. On yeah. from trainers a lot of people haven't had injuries before but they get insight from from trainers you work your body as you need it to work every single body is different every single skier is different you work your body as you need to work it as for for example for your own um objectives too 
somebody that's competing in the free or Walter or world level would be doing a way different training than me that I'm, I'm a ski, like I have a different skiing type, but yeah. it's all about your body. It's all about, I feel that that's the magic about a sport like skiing because it's very different between individuals. And also it's very cool. This year is the first year I had a bike season, whole bike season, and it's been a really good training for how I feel today. Yeah. Like my legs have been keeping active and I also been hitting the gym a lot, but, but you usually hit the gym two months before actually skiing. Yeah. Okay. More or less. So you can start working those specific muscles. And are you planning also again, like competing um, again? Or? It's always my idea. Um, okay. I, I do it for fun. It's not cheap to compete. You, I must say that it's very expensive. Uh, like I'm, 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 a, I'm an amateur. I'm not a pro level. I do it for fun. So I, everything comes out of my pocket. It's yes. a very expensive sport. So it requires a lot of sacrifices. I, I leave a lot of things behind. I stop doing a lot of things for skiing. Okay. So it is in my plans at least do one competition this year if it's possible because it's going to depend a lot on the COVID situation. Yeah, of course. But and if it's possible, yes. And, and, and where, where are the costs, costs coming from when it comes to competition? Just out of curiosity because like what do you have? Like you already have your gear, but is it like you have to pay a starting money, kind of like a starting fee yeah. or how is it working? Yeah, the starting fee is at least, you know, 150 euros from starting okay only to be in the event then you will spend maybe 200 300 on the on the traveling and the weekend you're going to spend at the place yeah because of course usually, okay, yeah accommodation all the sometimes stuff, yeah. the events would be on the places you live which yeah. will be only the starting fee but most of the times you will need to travel and that yes. travel there's a lot of cost of getting there staying there for a weekend yes of course and then coming back so, yeah, that, that does make sense. Yeah, I, I was just uh, like what I did for a while was uh, I was competing in judo. Um, and that was like the only sport I did. Um, and yeah, I can. Uh, the, the nice thing about judo is that you don't need that much time. It's just a day which you spend, you go there and you have the competition. So it's not, not that uh, difficult. In general, um, the impulses you earned um, during and also still as like a um, on on the almost i mean i would say pro level skiing um i would just like to get some advices of of yourself um towards like my audience um whatever you would love to share uh, whatever you think right now has the highest relevance when it comes to mindset when it comes to the, the more spiritual self what you think right now is important and what people should maybe focus on um so it would be super lovely. Yeah. I feel like a lot, a lot can be a little, a little, I know you can take a little bit from everything I said from my journey to be here because yes. at the end, I feel like everything I have done has brought me here. And it's been every time that I'm doing something, I feel it's not right or it doesn't make me happy. I question myself. Like I always feel like why I'm doing this. Do I really want this? And I try, like, I feel like every single time I'm directing myself out of where I want to be, I try to get myself back. That's the first thing that has meant dropping jobs, changing countries, selling bikes, selling assets, like my car. I don't have a car now. 
like that kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, it's so convenient to have a car, but yeah, but I want to do this trip and I feel like this is going to make me happy. And th 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 those kind of decisions that sometimes in, in the modern world where the culture is having stuff and having commodities and, yes. and you know, like the more you have, the more you, ha the more you have, the more happy you are. That's a lie. That's not true. I agree. It's, it's more about having the stuff you need for you being happy. And also don't forget to connect to people. And you're not, never going to resolve things for yourself. We are an interconnected system of energy between every single living person and system in the world. I'm talking about not only people, animals, um, nature, everything is part of the system and hear the insights from nature. I want to drop here and, and that will be my advice, but I want to also give a message from my point of view about how as a society and and as humans being are we are doing things wrong and it's we are destroying the world we are getting clear symptoms from our environment and i think we need to start doing things differently and that's that's you will you will only be able to do that if you're able to hear these signs and connect so connect it's very important hear listen let the environment give you insights. Thank you. I do like I, I do agree that uh, the, the environment and, and generally like what I love to do, um, like I walk a lot, like I'm not like a person who likes to run or something, but I really like to take a walk and just, I don't know, I just really like to watch um, nature. I mean, you're doing that already if you're up in the mountain and you're like skiing or you just like have a pause in the middle of the snow. And, and just take a break and, and just enjoy um, what actually is provided by nature and, and how beautiful um, it can be. And, and I think there are, as you said, you can learn a lot actually by just embracing um, what is there. And, and I also do agree that people are not very kind to nature at all or to the earth in general. That is also very true. And that's, I think, a really big problem. I really hope that the, the focus, the awareness is changing over the next years even more and that we are trying um, more to actually um, do some more positive for for nature. Um, with that said, I'm I'm happy with the interview. Is there any last thing you would love to add? You would just yeah get out again, um, which you would love to share um, as yeah, last in, comment. In the, in, the, in the same line of connecting and hearing and feeling uh, and having all your senses connected, because that's when you're really gonna get important feedback from your from your environment. Is Nowadays, we live our lives running super intensely that we barely have time to take a break, breathe. And how you said, take a walk, look at you around, admire, take, take that time to stop, to take those 15 minutes of your day to breathe, feel, and rest. Because personally, I'm a super anxious person. I, I suffer of anxiety. I get nervous and I get moody and I get go crazy. And sometimes it blinds my vision. But when I take that time to breathe, stop for one second, and get that oxygen in my brain, yeah. it really helps you have a clear mind and take good decisions. And um, for one last question from my side, which just popped into my mind is like, do you have like some kind of daily routine you're doing to like kind of ground yourself to like, be ready for the day to just already start with a positive energy or with the energy you would love to start in a day. Just 
I've been super struggling to find that routine. It's not that easy. It's super beautiful to say, but super hard, especially when you have a job and you have time restraints every day. Yes. You, you, your, your day is way, too, way shorter than, than usual. But what I do personally, I, and I, I invite everybody to find yourself your own little sanctuary. What I do is I work hard because I need to work. I need to pay my bills. But on the weekends, I try to give time for myself go ski touring, go skiing, admire nature and be in my place of safety. Because that, that Sunday I spend on the mountains will give me a whole different energy for the whole week. And even, yeah. though, even though sometimes on Friday I'm super nervous and overwhelmed, comes, the weekend comes and I relax and I restart. So it's not like a daily routine, I would yes. say like more like a weekly routine. But that's the idea. Okay. No, that, that, that is great. I think that's also a great idea because I also do struggle with that um, and still trying to find um, what I can it's do. It, it's very hard, as you said, also if you're caught up and just like your work, because I also work remotely. My mom has an advertising agency. I work for her. I like, I don't know, sometimes like clients are coming or whatever is happening. I mean, I don't know. I have to cut a podcast for a client, whatever. And it just, it destroys sometimes like your flow sometimes, but uh, as you said, taking those breaks and then especially choose a day or a couple of days a week where you can actually have and find the time uh, for it and yeah, doing, and doing some something. Some people are way more structured than others. Some people yeah. will work well with having a written 8am routine, 9am routine. Yes. Some people are variable. Everything is different, but That's the thing. Try to find your century and try to not go too long without visiting your century. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so, so much for your time. Um, you, It's been a pleasure. I really appreciated your story. I really love uh, what you shared. With that said, um, thank you so much. I hope you have a beautiful day with your girlfriend. I just hope that you still have a beautiful week starting from tomorrow on, obviously. So yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a, a beautiful day. Bye-bye. Have a good week. Thank you, man. Thank you so bye much bye. for talking. Bye.